I'm very grateful to be with you tonight, and if you have been following our studies at all, you know that we are working our way through the story of Joseph. So today we will be in the book of Genesis chapter 45. Genesis 45, focusing on the first 15 verses of that chapter. But before we um, do that, I'd like to open us in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, it is with immense gratitude that we come to you tonight, that we have your word of the, your word before us, um, that we can uh, believe it and receive it, and that we it can change our lives. Lord, we just pray that you would teach us the lessons that you would have us to learn, myself included. Uh, even as a teacher, I have things that I'm sure you want to teach me through the course of this night. And so I pray that I would be open to those things. And I pray that I would deliver those things which you would have me to deliver. That the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable to you, O Lord, my Redeemer. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, well, um, you know that we've been following uh, Joseph's story. And last time we talked um, in Genesis chapter 44 about um, Joseph and his brothers. And Joseph put his brothers under a test because he wanted to see how much they had changed. And so he said, I'm going to put your brother in prison and bring back Benjamin if you want to see your brother alive again. And so he does that. And then um, the end result is that he wants to keep Benjamin there and send them back. And then um, uh, Judah said, well, I told my father that no harm would come to Benjamin, take me. And that is a totally different attitude than Joseph's brothers had when they sold him into slavery. So God was doing a work in them, and he was changing them. And today we're going to hear how Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. So, um, I have three points. The first one is, I am Joseph. The second one is fear not. And the third one is stay with me. So if you're keeping notes, those are my three points. And my message is simply titled, A Brother Revealed. Okay, we're going to look at the first five, four verses of Genesis 45, 45 starting out. And uh, it goes like this. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. And he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph, doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer, for they were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, 
your brother whom you sold into Egypt. Now, think about this. Uh, it had probably been somewhere in the neighborhood of like 20 years since this, these events had happened. Joseph has been a slave for a number of years. He was in prison for a number of years, and then he was raised up to be the second in command only to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, whatever Joseph says is going to be law, because only I am above Joseph in the whole land. And so then the brothers come, and they bow down before him, not knowing who he was. In fulfillment of the dreams that Joseph had when he was a young boy. We have this situation where now the brothers are faced with the impossible. Their brother Joseph, who they thought for sure was a goner when they sold him into slavery, is now um, is now before them. And it says that he showed himself unto them. And there, there is even a, uh, a supposition that he showed his, that he was circumcised because that would be a surefire way to show that he was indeed um, one of Abraham's descendants and one of Jacob's children. But whatever this whole thing took place, they realized that they were in the presence of their brother Joseph. And I find it interesting. Joseph says to his brothers, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. And before that, his brothers, when he said, does my brother, my father yet live? They, they couldn't answer him because they were so terrified. They have no idea what Joseph's going to do to them. They have some idea of what he's capable of because he called them spies and put them in prison for three days, made them think about their actions. So they know that he is capable of acting that way and speaking harshly to them. And so... Perhaps when he says, come near to me, uh, they're pretty, they're kind of nervous because they might think, well, he's going to do something to us that we do not appreciate. Um, but he just says, I'm your brother who you sold into Egypt. And I can only imagine the various thoughts that are going through their heads. But we are going to see what Joseph actually does, and it's much different from what I think I might be persuaded to do. However, God doesn't give us grace for other people's situations. God gives us grace for the situation that we ourselves are in. When I would see people um, dealing with losing a, a brother or a small baby that they had that they had lost, I would say, how in the world can you ever get through that? And then I lost my brother, who was three months of age when I was 13 years old. And 
I can say that you can only get through something like that by the grace of God. People have asked, how do you deal with being in a wheelchair every day of your life? In my early life, I didn't deal with it so well. As a young teen, I lost my will to live. But God never let go of me. He held on tight. And He didn't let me drown. And I can tell you unequivocally that God will be with you whatever you're going through in life. He might not lead you out of it, but He will lead you through it. That's an ironclad promise. Can we look, by way of cross-reverence, just to give a little bit more um, thought process to um, what is going on here with Joseph, to Psalm 105, 17 to 23. Psalm 105, 17 to 23. Um, I wanted to do a shorter passage, but I just felt like the whole passage was so good that I couldn't cut it short. So Psalm 105, 17 to 23. If someone gets it, if they could stand and read it for us, I would appreciate it. He said of man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They heard his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let him go free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of his, all of his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and teach his elders wisdom. Yes. Uh, Israel also came into Egypt and Jacob dwelt in the land of Ham. So we see here a summary of the story that the psalmist gives us in Psalm 105. And it talks about all the trials that uh, Joseph went through. But it uh, underscores the fact that Joseph went through these trials so that he could save his whole family alive. The children of Israel were alive to wax mighty in the land of Egypt because of Joseph. Because Joseph's dreams came true. Now, did Joseph deliver the news of those dreams in the best way possible? Probably not. Was Joseph ready to become the second in command of the Pharaoh when he got to, to Egypt as a 17-year-old boy? Absolutely not. But each level and each thing that he went to, whether it was becoming the head of Potiphar's household, so that the only thing Potiphar cared about is, what's on the menu today, Joseph? What am I going to eat when I sit down to eat? And that when he went down to the prison, when she very well could have been killed, but God preserved his life from a false accusation, the head of the prison recognizes the same leadership qualities in Joseph and says, you lead the prison. I'm not going to worry about anything going on down here since you are in charge. And as we talked about last time, there's one reason why all that worked. And it was this. That wherever Joseph went, God was with him. And so, 
we see that God had a plan which neither the brothers or Joseph fully understood. But God knew. Joseph Parker, as a young man, used to debate in the mining fields of England on the town green with infidels and atheists. An infidel once shouted at him, What did Christ do for Stephen when he was stoned? Parker said the answer that was given to him was like an inspiration from heaven. He gave him grace to pay, pay to pray for those who stoned him. Stephen had the mind of Christ, and hearing him pray for them who, who did him wrong, recalls at once the prayer of Jesus himself under like circumstances, Father, forgive them. It was only through the grace of God that Stephen was able to have that response. He said, lay not their sin, lay not this sin to their charge. Very much like Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So we have a situation. The brothers are standing there, probably weak in the knees. Maybe some of their knees are clanking together. I don't know. But I know that they are not prepared for what Joseph is about to say. So let's look at the next section here. Fear not. Genesis 45, 5-9 reads, Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither, for God did not send for God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years have the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in which there shall neither be earing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither. But God, and he hath made me a father to Pharaoh, and a lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Haste ye, and go up to my father, and say to them, Thus saith um, your son Joseph, God hath made me lord of all Egypt. Come now down unto me, and tarry not. It's interesting that both Joseph and his brothers had unique experiences. His brothers decided to sell him into slavery. Joseph decided to be faithful in whatever God gave him to do, and God worked it for his own good. And he realized ultimately that God was the one that sent him to Egypt. Incidentally, I see her here a wonderful parallel and harmony of our freedom as mankind to make decisions and God's sovereignty in reaching out to us and choosing to save us. Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, there is no one that is good, there is no one that seeks after God. And Jesus said, no one comes to me except the Father draw him. But Jesus also said, whosoever will may come, 
And whosoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Two very beautiful truths that are equally true and are perfectly woven through the scripture in a way that we will never fully understand this side of glory. Joseph's brothers had malicious intent. They wanted their brother to suffer. Their original intent was to kill him. And then they were persuaded not to kill him and then they sold him into slavery. They thought never to see him again and then famine drove them to Egypt where they knew there was food. Little did they know that it was Joseph who was the reason or at least the vehicle for why there was food. And he says, don't be grieved. God sent me before you to preserve life. And then he says, two years there's been famine in the land. And there's five more years. Why? Because he said, there's going to be seven years of plenty. Followed by seven years of famine. So we're nine years into this process at this point. And Joseph is saying, come and be with me. Don't fear. Don't be grieved. Don't continue to beat yourself up over this. This is over. God brought me here to save you alive. And I think it's very much like when Paul says in Philippians, forgetting those things which are behind, I press on toward the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now there's no doubt in my mind that being human Paul would sometimes reflect back to that day that he was standing in that crowd holding the coats of those who stoned Stephen. I'm sure that that was on his mind sometimes. But ultimately he realized that the only way to be effective for God was to put that behind him and to press on. To use the zeal that he once persecuted the church with to bless the church to love the church, to nurture the church, to teach the church, and ultimately to spread the gospel as much as possible because he did not want to be the guilty of any man's blood. If we could look at John chapter 15, 16. John chapter 15, verse 16. I would really appreciate it. If someone has that, if you can stand and read it. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. What a wonderful thought to think that God chose me and gave me work to do. He says in Ephesians, For you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God hath before ordained that you should walk in them. You know, I've made a lot of choices in my life, but God 
always pulls me back when he needs to and puts me on a solid path. And sometimes he has a sense of humor. I was homeschooled my whole life. So the last place I ever expected to find uh, satisfying employment and gainful employment was in a school. But that's where I've been the last three years, and I absolutely love it. So I say God has a sense of humor. Um, there's that old saying that says, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans, because he'll always do something a little different than what you imagined. But he's able to do abundantly, exceedingly more than we can ask, I think. And I've seen him do that in my life. And it's such a wonderful thing to know that if we are his, we will never be outside of the palm of his hand. And everything that happens to us has to gain his approval. Isn't it a comfort to know, as bad as things got for Job, that everything that happened to him had to be met with the stamp of approval from God. Everything the devil wanted to do to Job was done only with the supervision of God. God says, touch his wealth, but don't touch his body. And Job glorified God. Then God said, you can touch his health, but don't kill him. And Job glorified God. And as far as we know, Job never found out this side of heaven, what all that was about. But he did say these words, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And I know that my Redeemer lives, and on the earth again will stand. So you see, all the stuff that Joseph went through, he was still able to look at back and say, God did this. And what I find most interesting about this is he was living in a pagan culture. He was serving in a pagan government, and yet he never lost sight of who God was in the story. What a wonderful thing that was. It's interesting that God brought the people of Israel to Egypt to save them alive, and then he led them away from Egypt 400 years later to keep them alive. Because if they had stayed in Egypt, they may have adapted the Egyptian ways of life to the point of serving false gods, to the point of not serving the one true God, Jesus Christ. Let's have another story here. Recently, we heard of a workman who was employed on some building project where he was working at night. Busy on the edge of a wall, several stories high, he suddenly lost his balance and fell, but managed to grasp the edge of the wall with his fingers. Desperately he clung, hoping that his plight would be discovered. He was in darkness below the level of the wall, and his cries were lost in the clatter of the riveting machines, the puffing of the hoisting engines, and the myriad of other sounds arising from such a project. Soon his arms grew numb and his fingers began to relax. 
against every effort of his will to hold them rigid. Frantically he tried to pray, but no miracle occurred. At last his fingers slipped from the wall, and with a rudging sob of sheer terror, he fell about three inches to a scaffold that had been in the darkness the whole time. How a lot like Christians, thinking their salvation depends on their endurance and conscience of their weakness, they are fearful, anxious, and unhappy most of the time. Yet underneath, all the while, are the everlasting arms of a faithful, loving, and all-powerful Savior. And to that I say, Amen and Amen. So, we've had the reveal. We've had um, Joseph say, Fear not, much as Jesus said to his disciples after his resurrection. He said, Peace be with you, because he became our peace. He bridged the gap between hell and heaven, and he said, You can come to heaven. You don't have to go to hell anymore. So, then Joseph says, Stay with me. Genesis 45, 10 to 15. And thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen, and thou shalt be near unto me, thou and thy children, and thy children's children, and thy flocks and thy herds, and all that thou hast. And there I will nourish you, for yet are five years of famine. There are five years of famine, lest thou and thy household should come to poverty. Thou and thy household, and all that thou hast should come to poverty. And behold, your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin, that it is my mouth that speaketh unto you. And you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt, and of all that ye have seen, and ye shall haste and bring down my father hither. And he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them. And after that, his brethren talked to him. This is a, a young man who was stripped of his clothing and put into a pit by his brothers. And yet he kissed them and fellowshiped with them. I don't spend a lot of time drawing parallels between Joseph and Jesus. I know they're there. But I just want to bring attention to this, that the disciples, on the night that Jesus was arrested, they all forsook him and fled. It doesn't say some of them forsook him and fled. It doesn't say most of them forsook him and fled. It says they all forsook him and fled. Now we know that John and Peter followed a way off. And we know that Peter denied Christ and went out and wept bitterly. We know that John was present at the crucifixion, but at least initially, he himself ran. So all the disciples are in this place, and yet Jesus comes to the upper room and he says, Peace be unto you. 
all of us have done things that are against the law of God. None of us have any standing of our own. We sing that song, Emmanuel's Land, I stand upon his merit. I know no other stand. Because there is none. Because without standing on his merit, there's no merit to stand on. Our merit will get us put in hell. That's what our merit will do. People always say in the world, they say, I think God should be the one to judge me. And I absolutely agree. But it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. But the Bible tells me in Psalms that righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And that I no longer have to fear being judged on my own merit. Because he who knew no sin became sin for me. That I might be made the righteousness of God in him. We talk about win-win situations. That's the greatest win-win situation that you could ever give or get. It's the ultimate gift given and the ultimate gift received. Nothing even comes close. And so, Joseph offering this peace to his brothers, not only am I going to kill, not kill you, which you certainly deserve, but I'm going to bring you into a land of abundance and I'm going to keep you alive, you, your children, and your children's children. And it's because of that that when the children of Israel leave Egypt, they number so many because God continues to bless them in Egypt. And that's really why the Pharaoh put them in slavery because he was afraid of being overthrown. But God was faithful to the people of Israel. And I just, I love this fact that uh, he is talking to his brothers and you know that he had a special relationship with Benjamin because Benjamin and he had the same mother. And it's just, he, he said he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And then he kissed all his brothers. Even the most, the angriest among them, which we don't know the specifics, but even the angriest among them were experiencing reconciliation with the brother that they thought was lost forever. We sing that song, To God Be the Glory, and one of the verses says, The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. And I know there are some people that we think are beyond the pale of the grace of God. 
But all we have to do is look at the Apostle Paul, as we mentioned earlier, and realize that no one is beyond the grace of God. That God is in the miracle business. And that when he changes a man, he brings him from death to life. He that believeth is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Um, so, let's look at Galatians, chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Galatians 6, 9 and 10. This verse says, let us not grow weary in doing good. It can be wearying sometimes to always feel like you're doing the right thing and you're not getting any results. You're doing the right thing and you're being penalized for it. I know there are areas of my life where I have definitely felt that way. Where I have considered at times going away from what I know is the best way to achieve the ends that I want to achieve. But then I realize that I don't want to be like Abraham with Hagar. I don't want to step out ahead of God and, you know, be like, I got what I wanted, but the end results were bad. You realize there are people groups fighting today in the Middle East because of what Abraham did. Because of Ishmael and Isaac having conflict and their descendants still have conflict today because Abraham stepped out of the will of God. And I don't want that. Even though sometimes it feels like God is holding back. I know that he is doing what is best for me. And then in Galatians 6, 10, it says, do good to all men. Does it say do good to those who do good to you? Does it say do good to those who are worth doing good to? No, he says, do good unto all men. You know, apart from the grace of God, I'm an evil man. My family and others who've seen me at less than stellar moments can fill you in on all of that. But you know what? The grace of God appeared to me and I'm not the man that I was. And I'm also not the man that I'm going to be. For now I see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. The Bible tells me that I will be like him. One day, because I will see him as he is. The question that I have for you 
before we end tonight is, do you know him? Because if you don't know him, none of what I've just talked about matters. If you have not yet trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you cannot begin the journey that Paul was on when he said, I press toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Because see, the Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But in 24 it says this, being justified freely by His grace, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I wish people would share Romans 3, 23 and 24 together more because I think we miss something when we stop at 23. We miss the best news of all. That we don't have to stay in our fallen situation. That as it says in Ephesians chapter 2, we can be brought nigh who once were far off by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, being brought nigh unto Jesus and being brought into fellowship with Him is a whole lot more important than being brought into the plentifulness of Egypt. Because you know, every one of the people in this story that came down to Egypt to be saved alive is now facing their eternity. They're gone. But we have today to decide what to do with our Lord and Savior. Who is Jesus is the most important question that you will ever ask for yourself. And it needs to be asked. We are ever welcomed by God our Father when we are forced into His presence by our need. He invites us to make our request known to Him, but we remember the little fellow who nestled very close to his father, who said to him, what do you want now? And whose answer was, just to be near you, father. Of course, his father was pleased. Is not our father pleased when we seek his presence because of his love to us and ours to him? May we have more sweet times of prayer where the only objective is just to be near to our Father in Heaven. He does want to hear our needs. He wants us to make our requests known. But may we also pray to Him because of who He is. Not just for what He can give us. The Bible says that the Lord knows our needs. And thankfully, it also also means that he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. I'm so thankful for that every day. Because I would not have the patience with me that God does. But God loves me so much. 
that he gave his son to die in my place. Sort of like this thing that I saw on Facebook not too long ago, and I've seen it a few times. It said people may get upset for for getting Jesus shoved down their throats. But if they knew, if they only knew the great depth of riches and the wonderful things that God gives to those who he loves, they would know why we're so crazy about it. If you knew the difference that Jesus makes in a life, you would understand why some crazy fishermen decided one day when Jesus said, follow me, to drop their nets and follow him. If you knew the depth of the love of Christ, you would understand how they all suffered for the gospel. John, they tried to murder him, but they weren't very successful. He was boiled in oil, survived by tradition, and then went to the Isle of Patmos, as far as we know, to live out his days and to write the book of Revelation. But I'm pretty sure that the rest of the disciples, by tradition, were martyred for the sake of the gospel. It is generally thought that Peter was crucified like his Lord and not being felt worthy to die as his Lord did, requested to be crucified upside down. This was the same Peter who denied even knowing Jesus three times. But yet it wasn't the same Peter, because the Peter that we meet in Acts chapter 1 and 2 is the one that's imbued by the Holy Spirit of God, who said, if you must know by whose power this man stands before you whole, be it known unto you and to all those who are assembled here, that it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that this man stands before you whole. Our culture loves it when you thank God for things. But if you mention Jesus in any other context than a swear word, they get uncomfortable. May I encourage you that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that the name of Jesus should always be on your lips. Because he's the answer to every question. He's the answer to every sorrow. And he's the answer to every success that I've ever had in my life. And it's the same for you. If you will trust him. I encourage you to make the decision to follow him. He will not let you go. I can't guarantee you a rosy path if you follow Jesus. I didn't wake up the day after my conversion and suddenly be able to get myself out of bed in the morning. I didn't wake up in the days following my full surrender at 14 years old being able to walk out of 
the auditorium where that happened. No, I still had my physical infirmity. But instead of despairing about it, I learned to glory in infirmities. Because it's through my infirmity that the power of Christ is able to rest upon me in a powerful way that it could not otherwise. I believe that with all of my heart. And I believe that whatever you're going through, God may very well choose to heal you. He can heal you. Please don't misunderstand me. But if he chooses rather to let you continue to walk through it and to not change your circumstances, know that he will be right there by your side. And if there's a time, as the old poem says, that you don't see two sets of footprints, know that it is because he is carrying you. Because without his ability to carry you, there are some days that you wouldn't make it. Because there are some days when I wouldn't either. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of the gospel. Lord, we thank you for this picture of Joseph who gave mercy and kindness to his brothers who overcame evil with good. Lord, we thank you that you revealed your truth and your will to Joseph so that he would know without a shadow of a doubt that you had brought him there for a purpose. And Lord, I pray that you would reveal your will to those in attendance here today, that they would know without a shadow of a doubt, not that their problem is going to be erased, not that their life is all of a sudden going to be sunshine and rainbows every day, but that you will walk through them, through sunshine, through clouds, through rain. All of it will be with you. We thank you that you've said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And I pray that if there be anyone here who has not experienced that, that they would trust you today so that they can say it along with the writer of Hebrews. He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We pray all this in Jesus' name, our risen Lord. Amen.